0: <laughs> uh, well, the topic today is uh, service, obviously, right? And uh, so glad to be here with you. My name is Pastor Mike. If this is your very first time, I want to welcome you. So glad you, you found us, and we're, we're glad you're here. Uh, inside your weekend program is a white message note sheet that we use every week for our time of teaching, and so I encourage you to take that out, if you would, and uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get started as we continue this journey together. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, I'm just so excited about this day, a chance to be together, your people, your place, under your name. God, we're just we're here to meet with you. And every week we do this, we come to that time of encounter where we seek you, you seek us, and together we meet in the middle. And you, you change us, you transform us, you, you lift our eyes, you raise us up, you, you show us new vision for our life and what life is supposed to be and how we're, we're created. And today, Lord, as we talk about this, this important topic of serving sacrificially, and what does it mean to unleash a movement of passionate Christ followers for serving sacrificially. We, we pray that you'd come and speak to us by name, that we'd each hear your voice, that we would know that we've been spoken to by the time we leave, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Our story starts today. Uh, two brothers, I'm not sure who came up with the idea first or which one had the idea uh, first, but they they sensed the time was right. They sensed the time was coming. Something big was going to happen. They were, uh, they were on the road with him. They were traveling towards Jerusalem, and it was only going to be their last trip to Jerusalem. They didn't know that at the time, but they sensed something was up, and, and they sensed that, that, that something was going to happen. And so they've been talking about this for months, and, and it was sort of like, well, well, I don't know, maybe you should ask him. And, uh, well, well, no, I, I think you should ask him. And I think you would be better. And so it's going back and forth, like, who should make the ask? Who should make the request? I mean, this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. They needed to, to act. They needed to move fast on this. And so as they kicked it around, they finally came up with a new idea. Why don't we ask, like, like, mom? Why don't we ask mom to ask for us? And the more they thought of it, the more brilliant it seemed. I mean, after all, I mean, she... She was related. There was that family connection thing going on, and, and yes, yeah, she would be the one, and so came the day when then the three of them, the two brothers and their mom, they, they went to him to make the big ask. Well, today we're continuing this series that we've been in now for the last couple of months. It's, it's on the movement, Rocky Peak. It's a series about our vision, our values, uh, strategies, what we believe God's calling us to in our future. And... Uh, uh, if you've been with us throughout the series, you know that we started the first week with kind of an overview, a 40,000 foot view of of the, the vision that God's given us. Is, every week I like to start there for those, especially those who are brand new. But if you look there on your note sheet, you have this vision statement that we believe God's written on our hearts, that, that our vision is to unleash a movement of passionate Christ followers who are doing four things. So first of all, we're pursuing God, that our our number one goal in life is to know him, to love him, to experience his presence, to experience his leading in our life, to follow him, to please him in all that we do. He's number one. He's our, our greatest love, our, our, our deepest passion, our highest priority, right? So as a church, we want to know him, follow him. That's number one. Uh, secondly, going to be per, we're going to be loving people in the same radical way that he has loved us. So we talked about that last week. And then we're going to be serving sacrificially. We're going to talk about that today. And then finally, sharing Christ, that once we become a part of the movement of Jesus, that we all have a part to play in advancing the cause and taking the message and movement to those who haven't heard of it yet. And so that opening week, we, we kind of looked at the vision. that we spent seven weeks before Easter uh, unpacking these kind of seven of our core values that God's written on our heart. And then after Easter, we've been focused on the strategy. How do we carry out this vision, turn it into uh, reality? And, uh, and so today we come to this third component of the vision, third objective of serving sacrificially. And the question is, what does it look like to unleash a movement of passionate Christ followers who are serving sacrificially? So if you turn your note sheet over there, you'll see there's a section called serving sacrificially. What's it look like? And I think the best way to get at this is to start with a story that we just started with a few minutes ago. Um, I don't know if you recognize, I know sometimes I tell stories that, that some of like, oh, I know where he's going with this. But my guess is that probably most of us aren't familiar with this story. It's a story of two brothers. Uh, their names are James and John. They are fishermen. They're some of the first followers of Jesus. They're, they're part of his 12 disciples. And even more than that, they're part of his inner circle of Peter, James, and John. And as the scene unfolds, they're heading to Jerusalem. Now, this is the last trip they'll be taking with Jesus to Jerusalem. He's about to be crucified, but they don't really know that. They don't really get that. And uh, they just know that they're heading into dangerous territory because the last time they're in Jerusalem, they tried to kill Jesus. And so it's heightened tension. Everyone's kind of on high alert. And and Jesus has tried to tell them that, hey, we're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be brutalized. I'm going to be murdered. And then I'm going to rise. But they just don't have it in their paradigm, their worldview. They just don't. Messiahs don't die in their worldview. And so they just just can't really get their hands around this. But Jesus has also talked recently about his kingdom that's coming in glory and how he's going to reign and he's going to have a throne. There's going to be 12 thrones and they're each going to have a throne. And that's the part that's making sense to them, right? Right? Have you ever had like in your life like there's certain things God says that make sense and there's certain things that just don't make any sense? So what do you do? You, you ignore the stuff that doesn't make sense. You hold on to what does make sense, right? And that's kind of what they were doing. And so they're, they're heading for Jerusalem. They're sensing that, hey, something big is happening. Something big is coming. And so they decide it's time to make their move they're going to be on the 12 thrones right but but they know Jesus is establishing a new kingdom a new a new government he's going to need a new cabinet right a new vice president you going to need secretary of state secretary of defense and so they're all going to be ruling with him but they want to make sure they have the corner offices they want to make sure that that they're in this inner circle like they've always been and so they want to ask him hey how about if one of us sits on your right one on your left top advisors in this new kingdom and so um, they're, they're kicking it around, trying to say, well, how should we ask? Should you ask? No, he's always liked you better. You're the favorite. Why don't you ask? No, I think you should ask. I think we may go together, trying to figure this out. And, and one of them comes up with this idea, I know, let's ask mom to make the ask. Now, on the surface of things, this may seem a little bit strange. Like, why would you ask your mother, your grown men? But the more you delve into it, the more you see there's really good evidence in the New Testament that their mother was actually the aunt of Jesus. Uh, She was Aunt Salome. And uh, and so that made them cousins. And so this may have been why that they're kind of angling. I know if we get our mom, you know, she's um, Mary's sister. And and so um, they've got this in, and she's Aunt Salome to Jesus. And and so maybe that'll be a good idea that she could make the ask. And, And frankly, there's great deniability if this doesn't work out. Right, because you can always blame it on mom, right? Because moms always want their kids to be, you know, to succeed. And so, I don't know, Jesus. I mean, you know, it wasn't really our idea. But, you know, my mom, you know, what are we going to do, you know? So anyway, the three of them go. She makes the request, right hand, left hand. Jesus takes it very seriously. He asks them some tough questions. Are you you really serious about following me? Are you really willing to suffer? And they give the right answers. And then he says, well, bottom line, guys, is that I'm not really the chief of staff. I've got a chief of staff. He's my father, and he appoints who's going to sit at my right and left, and so I can't really tell you that. And so, uh, of course, when word gets out to the other ten disciples that they've made this end run, oh, they're ticked. They are really irritated that, Jesus, that, that Peter and John have made this ask. And so, um, you know, I, and honestly, I think the reason they're so upset is because they didn't think of it first. Because one thing we know about these guys, they were always having discussions multiple times about who is the greatest. You know, the 12 of us, who would you say is like the greatest? Like, I think it might be me. What do, do you all think? you know, and they would have these discussions from time to time, like who's the greatest, and so they're all thinking this, right, so I think they're just mad they didn't come up with this idea first, but anyway, they go, they make the request, and, uh, and they get all irritated, and so Jesus now, uh, it's a great teachable moment, so he calls, calls these guys together, he says, hey, we need to talk about leadership, we need to talk about greatness, we need to talk about what it means to be a follower of mine, what it's all about, and basically what he says, hey, is at the core at the core of being a follower of mine, it's about having the heart of a servant. Like even he says, in my life, I didn't come to planet earth. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. I came to be, make life better for people. I, I came to be a force for good. In fact, uh, I'm even going to give my life as a ransom, to kind of ransom my life for your life so that you can be forgiven and have a new life. And so... The path to greatness, I know you all want to be great, and that's awesome, but the path to greatness is not to use other people. The path to greatness is to make life better for other people, and this is part of your core identity. This is who you are as my followers, and by the way, this is the path not only to greatness, but significance and fulfillment in life. It's as you live for others that your life is going is to blossom. This is what it's all about. So they have this conversation, so. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to take our Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 10. Okay, so I want to look at this conversation they have, look at some of the details of it. Mark chapter 10. Now, the story is told in Mark 10 and Matthew 20. We're going to look at Mark's version. It says, says in verse 35, then James and John, so these are the two brothers, they're the fishermen, the sons of Zebedee, Salome's her mother, uh, they come to him. Now, in this story, in this account, um, it doesn't mention Salome being there. If you check out Matthew 20, she actually is there. Um, but it's their idea, it's their conspiracy, and so Mark just cuts to the chase and just kind of lets them take the lead in this. And is, they come to him, they said, teacher, they said, we Want you to do for us whatever we ask. <laughs> There's a loaded, It's loaded, right? Ever have kids do that to you? Hey, dad, how, could you promise me that whatever I ask, you'll say yes? Right? What's the right answer? Uh, what do you want? <laughs> right? Before I come, up, I said, what do you want? And that's exactly what Jesus does. He says, well, what do you want me to do for you? And they said, well, we, we really were hoping we could sit at your right and your left when you, you sit in your glory, just top advisors. And, and so Jesus said, ask them some questions about their commitment level and so on. And we won't go into that because it's not the topic today. But verse 41, when the 10 hear about this, the 10 other disciples hear, they become indignant with James and John. They're just really ticked off. And, uh, and so Jesus calls them together. He's sensing a, te- a teachable moment. He calls them together and he says, hey, you know, that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles. So Tiberius Caesar is the Caesar in Rome. Locally, they've got a governor named Pontius Pilate. There's at a, another uh, area counting nearby. There's a, uh, a man named King Herod. And so he says, um, you know how the rulers of the Gentiles operate. And he says uh, how they lord it over people. Um, you know, think with it at your, your place of business. It's often the case, right? Someone gets a new place, a, a position of authority, and what do they start bossing people around, right? That, that in this world, uh, when you're in a place of authority or leadership, it's often seen as a way for you to get your perks, uh, your privileges, kind of to use other people to make your life better, right? That's, and he says, that's the way it is in the world. Uh, but he says, catch this, verse 43, not so with you. Now, I want you to underline that. Not so with you. In other words, that in my movement, as my followers, we're having a whole different approach to life and leadership. He said, instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Now, catch this. Jesus does not say uh, it's something wrong with wanting to be great. He wants us all to be great, right? Right? And you say, I want to be great. I want to live a life of significance. I want to live a life of purpose. I want to be fulfilled. I want a great life. Jesus says, great, but let me tell you how to do it. The way to be great is not to use other people in life. The way to be great is to serve others and make uh, make them great. So he says, uh, instead, whoever wants to become great, he must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all for even the Son of Man, talking about his own life, you know, he's their Lord, he's their leader, but he says, even myself, I did not come to be served, but to serve, Now, catch this. We often think of the cross as his act of service, but that's, that's just the best example of his act of service. Jesus was serving people all the time, wasn't he? You look through his story. He's loving them this way. He's loving them that way. He's feeding them. He's healing them. He's listening to them. He's forgiving them. I mean, he's just a servant 24-7. And so Jesus said, this is the why I came. This is my core identity. I came. I am a God who serves. This is who I am. I come to make life better. I'm a force for good. That's what I do. The best example of that is me giving my life for the world, but but that's just the best example. This is kind of what I do 24/7. And so he says, "I did not come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many." So he came to give his life was the best example of this that his life for our life. Your sin for his forgiveness. You know, his life for our life, okay? And so Jesus lays out for him. He takes this, this, this teachable moment. He says, guys, you need to understand what it means to be my follower. At its core, being a follower of Jesus is embracing this identity of a servant, that, that you exist for others to make life better for others. This is who you are. This is what it means to be uh, a follower of mine. And so today we want to talk about that. What does it look like? To, uh, to unleash a movement of passionate Christ followers who are serving sacrificially. What does it look like for us to live a lifestyle 24-7 of service? That service is not just something we do, like a good deed for the day. You know, hey, walk the old lady across the road, right? That, that's a, that we live a lifestyle of service, what does that look like? So there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called the Lifestyle of Service, Three Circles of Influence. And I want to break this down for us and get as practical as I can. What does it look like to have a heart of a servant? What does it look like to live a lifestyle of service? And what I want to suggest is there's three different circles or spheres or zones or realms that God calls us to serve in, all right? So there, are number one. For each one, you've got a blank to fill in. You also have a circle to fill in. Um, and so here we go. Number one. The first circle of, of uh, service is the circle of what I call the core, the core, as in core identity. And so, so this is the first thing. When, when we come to be a Christ follower, he calls us to be in our personal life, all right, the core I'm talking about our personal life, that in our personal life, at our core, we are servants. This is where we're going to serve. When you stop and think about it, most of our life is not lived like at church, right? Most of our life isn't even lived in, you know, going on some big mission thing. Most of our life is lived at our homes, at our family, with our friends, um, in a a marriage, at our, our job site, in the community. And so the first place that Jesus calls to serve is just at the core of our life, just who we are as a person. Now this is important because many times when we're in a church setting like we're here at church the moment that the pastor begins to talk about service the first thing that we comes to our mind is serving at the church right as we start thinking about, okay, I need to teach Sunday school in the third grade, or I, I, I need to uh, uh, help out with IT or in the, in the global ministries department or the mission to Mexico or uh, be an usher or greeter. And That's kind of where our mind tends to go. And Of course, those things are important. We'll talk about it in a minute. But I want to go beyond that and say that's not where we start the story. That The that when we're called to be a servant, this is who we are 24-7. This is when we walk up to the checker at, 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 at Ralph's, you know. This is when we're, the waitress comes to our table. Um, this is when the Verizon rep- representative is ripping you off for $270 yesterday. This is, uh, th- 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 you know, and you got all your people behind you and they're not helping you. Um. You see, this is a twenty-four. This is a lifestyle thing. You see, we're called to be servants, and so so I want to unpack this some, and I want to start by taking a look at a passage of scripture in the book of Colossians. All right, take your Bible, turn to Colossians chapter one. True story, by the way. They didn't give me my money back. I told them I was going to go to AT and T because I wanted a iPhone but they still didn't relent. Anything else we can do for you, sir, to make your day? Just give me back my $270 you owe me, that'd be great. Colossians number one. All right, Colossians one. <laughs> you have any more questions today, sir? No, we've taken 45 minutes. You still have not answer my number one question. <laughs> you still have my $270 for the phone. You said I had to return, but you never told me. And the last month you told me I, I didn't have to return, now you tell me I do, it's $270. Okay, uh, Colossians chapter one, but I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter. No, 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 no. I walk. I walk in grace and forgiveness. I'm telling you. Yeah, it's sick. Live in the vision, baby. Live in the vision. All right. Uh, chapter one and verse nine. So Paul's writing to these Christians he's never really met yet, and he's not even been there. But he's heard about their their coming to Christ. He's really excited about that, and so. He's praying for them, and as he prays for them, we listen in on his prayer. Uh, you're getting his vision for the Christian life, you know, what he's praying for these new believers, what God would do in their life, and what it means to follow Jesus. So in verse 9, he says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, notice he he hasn't met them, we have not stopped praying for you. We've got this passion for you, and we're asking God, first of all, to fill you with the knowledge of his will. So he says, Amen. the first thing I'm praying is that God would just kind of fill you up like a cup, fill you to the overflowing with the knowledge of his will for your life. You'd understand how life works and what he wants you to live and how he wants you to live. God would just fill you with that. That's what I'm praying for. And he says um, and it, that this would happen through all spiritual wisdom and understanding, that he, through the Holy Spirit he would fill you with the understanding of his will. And verse 10, and we pray this. Uh, why are we praying for this? Well, we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in what? Every way. I'll say it again. Please him in what? Every. every way. So this is our goal as a church, right? This is what we talk about, pursuing God. We're going to please him in every way. But now he's going to break it down for us. What does it look like to please God in every way? And he's going to give us three examples. We're only going to look at the first one because it's our topic today. But the very first thing he says is bearing, um, be, uh, bearing fruit in every What? He said, bearing fruit in every good work. What's it look like to be a person who pleases God in every way? What's it look like to have your life transformed, to be filled with the knowledge of God and his will and with all spiritual understanding so you get how life works and, and so we can please God in every way? And what's that look like to be a person who pleases God in every way? Number one thing, he says, bearing fruit in every good work. Like you are created to make a difference in the world. You are created to be a force for good. This is what it looks like to please God. And every you're going to be bearing fruit in every good work, just like a fruit tree, a healthy fruit tree bears apricots. Our lives bear good what? Good, good, yeah, good works. No wrong. Good, uh, good, good works. Yeah, God, we, that our lives would bear good works. Now, in Ephesians chapter uh, two. Paul even goes farther, and there in your note sheet I printed this. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, here's what Paul says. We are God's workmanship. We, as Christ's followers, we're God's project. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad you're not your own project? And look, we're created in Christ Jesus. In which we came to Christ. He brought us to Christ. He, we're created to do what? Do you see that? Right, I don't want you to miss this. We're created to do what? Paul says, We are created to do good works. This is our purpose in life to make life better for other people. Okay, which God prepared when? In advance for us to do. So if in the context of Ephesians, if you read chapter 1 and 2, what Paul is saying is before the creation of the world, God chose us to follow him. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's because before time, he chose you. And now in chapter 2, he says that in advance, before you were even born, God created good works for you to do in advance. He created you for this to have an impact wherever you go you see? And so this is what I want you to catch. This this place of service, this is not just about doing this at church or doing this good deed here. This is a lifestyle. It's at the core of what it means to be a follower of Jesus 24-7 that we are not just serving, we are servants. Service is not just something we do, it's someone we are. You see, it goes to the core. Are you with me in this? The core of this. And often this is where we miss it. And so we can think, oh, I'm going to church and I'm serving here at church. or I'm serving this thing. And we don't understand. Yeah, but we're not. We're just living a lifestyle of service. Because most of our life doesn't happen at church. Most of it happens in our families and in our workplace, in our community. And so we should be the people that wherever we go, we're making life better. We just make life better. It's what we do. We're just a blessing. We're a gift wherever we go. Are you with me in this? This is our identity. This is our calling that we he came to serve, he sends us to serve. This is a 24-7 thing. Okay, number two. Oh, wait, before we go on, let's look. There's a great quote there by Francis de Sales. He was a, a, a great Catholic leader in the 1600s. He wrote a little book called Introduction to the Devout Life. That's really a good book. But he said, great occasions for serving God come seldom. You know, like not every day in our life, we're going to have this great, amazing opportunity to serve God. But little ones surround us daily. And our Lord himself has told us that he who is faithful in little is faithful in much. And so if you do all in God's name, all you do will be well done. Whether you eat or drink or sleep or whether you amuse yourself or turn the spit. He's talking about, um, you know, like cooking something over a spit, not what you swallow. And uh, so long as you do all wisely, you will become great in God's sight. You catch this? Just what Jesus said. Do you want to be great? Live a life of service. See, it's the path to fulfillment. So last week I was reading a quote by Carl Minninger, famous, famous psychiatrist. One of the most famous psychiatrists of the 20th century. One time he was asked, hey, if someone came to you and they're on the verge of a nervous breakdown, what would you say to them? And everyone's expecting him to say, get into therapy, take some drugs. He said, here's what I tell you to do. I tell you to go home, get out of your home, lock your door, go across the far side of the tracks, the wrong side of town, find someone in need and start to serve them and you will get better. You see, so it's kind of a law of the universe. It's a law of, uh, uh, of nature. And, and even non-believers have recognized this, that you cannot serve others without get it receiving back. And, and so if you wanna be fulfilled, you, you want to be a, a life that makes a difference. You want to have a great life. See, Jesus says, here it is. Be, be a servant, right? Okay, now, number two. So the first sphere we serve in is the core. The second one is in the movement, in the movement of Jesus. So, We, we talk about this a lot here. When we become a follower of Jesus, we become part of his movement. I and mean, what the Bible teaches is that we're uniquely gifted when we become a follower of Jesus to help advance the movement. So we don't just serve in, the, in our daily life. We serve in the movement. We have a unique calling there. I, I think the best way to get at this is to use a military analogy. Like I have uh, a nephew who recently uh, enlisted in the army. And so they, they sent him off to the east coast somewhere to, to go through basic training. This is what you do when you go in the military. Everyone goes through boot camp or basic training. You, you learn what it is to be a soldier. You learn the basics of being a soldier. But then after that, typically what happens is you get shipped off to do some kind of specialist training, right? Like in his case, he's going to Texas to be a corpsman, to learn to be a corpsman. And so you could, you know, you could go that, you could be in, into uh, electronics, you could go into IT, you could go into infantry or tank repair or whatever the thing is. But the idea is everyone goes through basic training to be a soldier, but then you get specialized training to make your mark in the movement, you see, and make in, in, that, in that army. Now, in the same way, in the New Testament, this is what we're taught, is that every person who becomes a follower of Jesus receives the Holy Spirit and goes through, like, basic boot camp where we're taught that we're to, we're to be a servant, we're to make a difference in the world. We, we all go through basic training, Okay. But what the Bible says in the New Testament is that every follower of Jesus also receives some specialized training or more accurately some specialized gifting to make their mark in the movement. Right Now the Bible calls these in the New Testament spiritual gifts. They're supernatural abilities to advance the cause of Jesus and we've all received them. And so we're called not only to serve at the core of our life, but every one of us has been gifted to serve in the movement in a unique way. And sometimes these gifts are obviously very supernatural, like you have a gift of miracles, or a gift of healing, or a gift of tongues, something like that. Very obviously supernatural. But what the Bible says is that all of the gifts... Uh, whether encouragement or mercy or helps or teaching, like all of the gifts are equally supernatural. And it's vital that every one of us uses our gift. Otherwise, the movement doesn't advance. Does that make sense? Just like an army, like if people didn't do their job, you wouldn't have a very effective military machine. Now, there in your note sheet, I put a couple examples of this teaching from the New Testament. Let's just run through them. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 7, New Living Translation says, A spiritual give it, gift is given to whom? Yes. Right, say it again. It's given to whom? Yes. Each of us. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you've received uh, these spiritual giftings so that we can help each other or serve one another. Next verse, 1 Peter 4, 10. Each one, notice that, underline it. Each one, every one, no exception. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to What? serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. So when so we come to Jesus, he graces us. He supernaturally graces us with these gifts. And he says our job then is to take whatever grace we've received and faithfully administer it to others in the body. Um, the third verse, Ephesians 4.16, this is that analogy of Jesus as the head where the body of Christ And it says, from him, from Jesus, the whole body grows and builds itself up in love. Catch that. The the body, we do, we do like a bodybuilding thing where we strengthen ourselves and we get stronger. How does that happen? As each part does its what? Okay, catch that. Each part does its work. And so what happens is in the movement of Jesus, each of us has been uniquely gifted with these supernatural abilities so that we can administer God's grace to one another so that the body can be built up, and it's imperative that each person does his or her work. So let's just kind of flesh this out, like here at Rocky Peak, right? We talk about being a movement. Okay, so, so here's the question. What's your job description in the movement? What God's calling you to do? Here's what Paul's saying. Let's say someone over here, you have the gift of teaching, but you're just kind of being lazy right? You're just kind of lazy, you're into yourself, you're busy, or whatever, and so you're just not using that gift. What it, what, what it means is that there's someone over here who needs desperately needs the insight you have to grow to the next stage in the Christian life, but you're not there to teach them, and so they stagnate. Are you following? Me? This makes sense? Let's say that someone over here, you have a gift of leadership. But you're just busy, you're self-absorbed, you don't want to make the sacrifice, whatever. So you're not using that gift of leadership. What does that mean? It means there's a group of people in the back up there that they desperately need your leadership. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They're not going to grow because you're not using your gift of leadership. Someone back there in the back, you have a gift of encouragement. That's how God's wired you, but you're just kind of into yourself and you're not, whatever. And so there's this whole group of people here at Rocky Peak that you're supposed to be encouraging that they're getting discouraged and getting off track spiritually because you're not you're not doing your thing. There's another group, there's someone over here who has a gift of leadership. They are leading. God's given them a vision for a ministry, and they have this incredible vision, and God's all over it, but they need some people with the gift of helps to come alongside to help them carry off that mission, and, and they can't carry it off because the people with helps are like, what can I do? It's just a gift of help. It's like anyone could do this. It's no big deal. Let someone else, are you with me on this? You see? So Paul says that we're, In this movement, the way it's wired is that every one of us needs to know how we're wired, how God's gifted us, how he's prepared us, and we each need to be doing our job. And so it's the second circle of service. So we serve in the core, we serve in the movement, all right? Now, third. The third circle of service is the world, And so we're called to serve not only in the court, not only in the movement of Jesus, but also in the world at large. Now, to get at this one, I want you to take your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 5. I want to look at something Jesus said about this. It's in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, which of course is where Jesus lays out the message of his movement at the beginning of his movement. He says something really fascinating. Verse 14. Verse 14. Take your time. Okay. Y'all there? I don't want you to miss this. All right. Okay, he says in verse 14, he says, You are the light of the world. Because the world's a dark place. The world is confused. The world doesn't know the right hand from the left. They don't know who I am. They don't know who God is. They don't know how life is supposed to be lived. And so the relationships are breaking down. The society's breaking down. They you got a whole world that's just messed up and it's just big problems. It's a world that's in darkness. And he says, "And you are the light of the world." Now, who's he talking to? He's talking to followers of Jesus, right? He says, "I am the light of the world." Remember in John he says, "I am the light of the world." Now he says, but I'm transferring that light. You are the light of the world. You're like the light bulbs of the world. Okay? You're the light of the world. You, Rocky Peak, you are the light of the world. Are you with me in this? Uh me? Ooh, I'm just a dim bulb. Uh, uh no, no, no. No, you, Rocky Peak, you are the light. Of the world. I put you in a dark place. It's called the San Fernando Valley. It's called Simi Valley. It's called San. It's a dark place. I don't have a clue what's going on. And, And you're the light of the world. Your job is to light things up. Your job is to turn it on, turn it up. Grab that dimmer switch, baby. 100 watts, full wave. You are the light of the world. Are you with me in this? You, Rocky Peak, you're the light of the world. And so he says, so let your light shine. Turn it up. Get on with it. Be who you are. Let it radiate. Show the world the way. And he goes on. He says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, just like a cross at night. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. You don't turn on a flashlight and stick it in a drawer. Instead, you put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. So in the same way, let your light shine. Okay? The question is, well, but, but how do we do that? How do you let the light shine? Like, what are you talking about? When I was uh, young growing up, um, this verse was often quoted or taught to me, and, and it went like this: that, that you're the light of the world, and so you need to speak up for Jesus. You're in situations you need to be quick to share Christ. You're, you're on a plane. Be quick to share with the person next to you, you're on a bus, to share that. You need to speak up for you. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Be quick to speak up for Christ. Be a light. You're the light of the world. Speak up. Now here's an interesting thing. That may be good advice. But that has nothing to do with this passage because look what he says in verse 16. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good what? Deeds. Deeds. Uh, In the Greek, it's the word works. It's the same word we've been seeing all morning, Colossians, Ephesians, same word, works. Take your Bible, scratch out deeds, write in works. We're going to make a new translation here. The better what? New International Mike version. Yeah. That they may see your good what? Works. Works, right. He says, let your light shine. Oh, we've got to tell people about Jesus? No, he says, the world's sick of hearing about Jesus. They're sick of a church that kind of has a lot of, full of hot air. But there's nothing to show. He says, the world's waiting for people who will show their good works. They'll, they'll light up the place. They're going to light up the place by loving people in amazing ways. It's going to be the way of love. It's going to light things up. When you stop and think about it, isn't this exactly what Jesus did? He didn't just teach, right? He healed, and he fed, and he listened, and he forgave, and he touched, right? So it wasn't just his words. It was his works. And so you had the right hand and the left hand of Jesus, you see, and, and that's what we need. We need not just the words, we need the works. And what he says here, Jesus says, that they may see your good works and praise your Father in heaven. That this will be what kind of takes them, draws them to God in their own life. And says, wow, that's awesome. I need to find out about this God. I need a relationship with this God, you see? And so we're, we're called then to not only serve in the core, we're called to serve not only In the movement, we're called to serve in the world. I love this quote by uh, Martin Luther King, Jr. He says, I choose, my life, I choose to identify with the underprivileged. I choose to identify with the poor. In fact, I I remember what Jesus said when he started his ministry, I've come to preach good news to the poor. Isaiah chapter 1, he's quoting from Isaiah, the, the, the words of the Messiah He says, I I choose to identify the poor. I choose to give my life for the hungry. I choose to give my life for those who have been left out of the sunlight of opportunity. I choose to live for and with those who find themselves seeing life as a long and desolate corridor with no exit sign. This is the way I'm going. If it means suffering a little bit, I'm going that way. If it means sacrificing, I'm going that way. If it means dying for them, which is sort of prophetic for him, I'm going that way because I heard a voice saying, do something for others. You see? And so Jesus says, let your light shine. Turn it up. But you're going to do it by your works, by loving people in amazing ways. We're going to point point out the way. So we're going to serve in these three circles, in the core, in the movement, and in the world. Now, the question is, uh, strategically for us as a church, where do we go from here then? What does that look like? And and I'm going to give you three three quick uh, steps, strategic steps we want to take as a church. Number one, we want to embrace our identity. On the back of your note sheet, embrace our identity. I think this is something that individually we have to do. Uh, as a church, we have to do it, but individually, if we're going to be part of a, a movement, is we have to embrace this identity. This is our identity, that we're called to be servants, to be a force for good wherever we go. We're going to do it when we go to the market. We're going to do it when, we, when we're ordering our food a, a waitress. We're going to do it when we drive on the freeway. We're gonna do it. Um, I know it's a big step. It's a big step, but okay, we're committing right here and now. Uh, we're we're in our neighborhood. We're just gonna be a force for good. You know, if we're a student, at Sun, We're gonna be a force for good. If we're if we're, we're a mom, we're, going to be a force. we're just gonna we're gonna embrace this identity, right? That we are servants. It's who we are. It's what we do wherever we go. Force for good. Number two, we're gonna explore our gifts. We've seen today that when we become a follower of Jesus, that, that he releases these spiritual gifts in our life. And so it's vital that we each know what our gifts are and how he's prepared us, how he's wired us, and how to make a difference right here in the movement. We can't unleash a movement unless we're all doing our part. And that means we have to each explore our gifts. Some of you know what your gifts are. You're plugged in. You're serving. A lot of you don't know what your gifts are. You wouldn't know where to begin. And so we're going to have to explore that as a church. Now, the last couple of weeks, I've told you this, that in this next year or two, we're going to be developing the 10 to 12, these courses, we call them essentials right now, that are just vital areas for us to learn how to pursue God, love people, serve sacrificially, and share Christ. And, and so one of these courses is specifically going to be designed on service. And it's going to be designed to help us embrace a culture, and attitude of service. It's going to be designed to help us kind of understand how God's wired each of us. How has he wired you to make a difference? What are the spiritual gifts he's given you? Um, what... As uh, the personality he's given you? What are the life experiences he's taken you through? What are the natural abilities you have? What is your passion for ministry? Like what area? You say, man, we got to do something there. And, and we're going to explore that and help you figure this out and then help find a place here in the movement that kind of matches up to where that all becomes one you know, entity, that who you are and where you're serving, you've got the best match possible. We're also going to be talking in that course about, about how to be a servant in every every area of our life, not just with our, our time, uh, not just with our talents, but also our treasures, our re- financial resources. What does it look like to live a life of service 24-7? How does that look in our life? So we're going to be unveiling that. And now number three, the third step we're going to take is to expand our reach. So, so the first step was to embrace our identity. That deals with the core. The second step was to explore our gifts. That deals with the movement. This third step is to expand our reach. This deals with us as a church, that we want to expand our reach in making the world a better place as a church. And so we're already on our path, and we're already doing so much in this area. Um, You think of the last few years, going down to Mexico, Uh, and building houses for the poor. You think about uh, the the missions teams we send down to Mexico to bring eyeglasses for prisoners uh, 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 on a a regular basis. Um, You think about going to Uganda and taking wheelchairs for those who can't get around. Uh, You think of going to Ethiopia and doing eyeglass clinics for those who can't see. You think of here uh, right in our own area partnering with Children's Hunger Fund and, and, uh, and helping to, to feed the hungry both here in L.A. and around the world. You think of partnering with some of the inner city ministries we've been doing where we're, we're helping to reach out, angel tree, presents for kids and all. So there's a lot that we're doing, but our sense of things is we just want to do more. We feel like that God's put us here. We, we need to be expanding our reach. And so we're going to be seeking God on this. And specifically, we're going to be inviting Jesus to the table. You know, and we're saying, okay, we want you to be the leader of this. You've told us to let our light shine. You've told us we're the light of the world. You've told us that we're... Now, Jesus, would you take the head seat at this planning table here, and would you give us our assignments? What are our global assignments? What are our local assignments just to love people in your name, expecting nothing in return, just to love just as a light of this world, to make the world, the community, a better place? And we're going to be seeking God for that. Now... There in your note sheet, one final section, the movement, where do you stand? And I want to ask you three kind of penetrating questions, again, as we do every week, just to say, okay, I'm painting a vision of our, our future and the strategies, where do you stand with this? Number one, the first question is the one we've been asking all day, is are you embracing your identity? We've seen today that that. Jesus calls us to a life of service. It's a whole lifestyle in these three different spheres. Are you ready to embrace that? Do you believe him that this is the path to greatness? It's a path to fulfillment, that this is what will make you happy, that your joy in life will not come from being served, but from serving, being a force for good? Do you believe that? Do you trust Jesus on this? Are you willing to embrace that call in your life? Number two, now this is a very pointed question. And, and I don't really mean it to be like a guilt producing question, though if God uses that in that way, so be it. <laughs> um, but, but this is really not, it's not in my heart this way. Uh, uh, but I, it, it's a good penetrating question. Here's Here it goes um, If you moved, would you be missed? And I'm talking about the movement here at Rocky Peak. If you move, like let's say you, you were to move. Tomorrow you find out you, you had to move. You're getting transferred. You're moving to North Carolina. We'll write, but we won't visit. But you, you, you're moving to North Carolina, okay? And so we'll, we'll pray for you. But um, it, you're getting moved. Um, the question is, would you be missed in the movement here? Now, now catch I'm not saying would your life group miss you because I'm sure you're a nice guy, and, and I'm sure they would miss you. Like that, I'm not asking personally. Do we miss you? What I'm asking is, would we miss you in the movement? Is there something that you're doing that, if you moved today, would not get done, and we would need to recruit someone to find that? It's like, oh man, bummer. Fred's moving. You know, it's like, man, he was in. He was in. The, he was one of our lead uh, builders in that Mexico house building thing, and and he, he teaches Sunday school in the, in the fifth grade, and 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 he helps out with his part And then they're like, man, we got. Man, he's leaving us the hole here. We've got to get in there. We've we got to recruit some people here, you see? That there's something that, that he's, he's, the movement will suffer because he's gone. The movement here, North Carolina, will be blessed because <laughs> they're getting a good one, right? But, but right here. Are, and so the question is, if you were to move today, would you be missed? You know, or, or are, are you here more as a kind of a consumer mentality? I'm just kind of coming in and just kind of checking it out and getting kind of what I need. and, and go. You see what I'm saying? And I understand there's different seasons of life, and I'm not trying to put a guilt thing on it. I'm just saying that if we're going to unleash a movement here, man, we need everyone on board. And every one of us should have a place and say, yeah, if I were to move tomorrow, here's three things or two things or one thing, or here's my thing. So this would, they'd have to get someone. This isn't going to get done, you see? we We each need to have that. If we don't, we're not going to be a movement. And number three, the third question is, are you ready to shine? We talked about this. Our calling is to be the light of the world and as a church that, to, to make a difference in the world. And so as we move forward in that, are you ready to shine? You know, sometimes people ask me in the past, you know, we've been here four years now, and they would ask, like, well, why don't we do this or why don't we do that in terms of service ministries or whatever? And you know what I'd always tell them is we're not ready to do that. The first step of a church being a great church is we have to develop the heart of Jesus as a church. We have to become a church of passionate Christ followers where we want to please him more than anything else. And once that happens, then he can unleash us out in the world. If you try to unleash people out in the world before their heart is right, they will burn out we will fail. We will not succeed. You get all excited. It just falls apart. You see, we, we have to first become a movement of passionate Christ followers and then get released out, you see. But my sense is the time is coming that we are becoming that church of passionate Christ followers, that he is capturing our heart. He's becoming our first love. He's becoming our deepest passion. He's becoming our highest priority. And we will follow you, Lord, wherever you lead us. And so now is the time as we begin to get there, I believe God's going to say, okay, this is your assignment. And the question is, Will we shine when our time comes? When he says, it is time, turn on the light, turn it up, make a difference, will we answer the call? Will we be willing to sacrifice? Will we be willing to suffer? Will we be willing to get outside of our comfort zone and light up this community? You see, that's the question. Are you ready to shine? Amen. (laughs) Amen. Amen. It's not always going to be easy it's not always going to be easy. It's never been easy in the history of the world to let your light shine, right? It's not always going to be easy, but I'll tell you, there's nothing better in life than to let your light shine and watch God light up a place, right? Nothing, it's, it's what it's all about. It's why Jesus came, to be the light of the world. That's why we're here. He left us here. He didn't take us home because we're to light up the place. Now, uh, we're going to end with a, 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 just a little video, video. It's a guy named Brad Corrigan is going to share some thoughts for this. Um, Brad is, is the head of a ministry that's down in Managua, Nicaragua. Uh, it's, it's a ministry that started in 2007. It's called uh, Love, Light, and Melody Ministry. So it's a fascinating story. 2007, he takes a band down there to do a concert, kind of an outreach concert, and through a series of events, they end up doing, catch this, a concert for the poor in the dumps of Managua, Nicaragua. And so all these people live in the dump. And they went in and did a concert for the poor in the midst of the dump. And it was, it was just so threatening to him and so on. But through that, God began to change his heart. And God began to unleash a new ministry. And now there's this cool ministry that's in the dump of Managua, loving people in the name of Jesus in the dump of Managua. It's awesome. It's awesome. But he's going to talk in this video, just a short clip, he's going to talk about what it takes to unleash a movement. And what he's going to say is, what I've been saying all day, is that it starts at the core. It starts with God transforming us. And often we want to go out there across borders and do the amazing thing, which is fine, but that if we're going to unleash a movement, it starts here, letting God change us in our identity as servants at the core and getting whole in the inside, and then, and then beginning to reach out to one layer, and then the next layer, and then the next layer, and as your life is touched, and my life is touched, and we begin to grow, that's how a movement happens. You see, it starts from the inside out. So let's take a look and see what Brad has to say.
1: I think for me the most powerful thing in the entire walk, and it's only been a couple of years that I've been walking in, this particular story is that the change that you see and that you want for other people so much is the change that you want for yourself first but you don't have the courage to look in here first and you go somewhere thinking what can I do to change out here and those people that you're going to serve serve you in the way that they show the mirror image of who you are and where your heart is and then oh my gosh, the trash that I'm seeing out here, I'm also seeing in here. The trash that I'm allowing in my own life, whether it's I have the wrong identity or I've put my identity in the wrong place or I have addictions that I won't deal with or I have wounds that I won't share. I have fears that are, that are ruling my life. And when you realize that this is the most important change you have to offer the world, Walking through that transforming process of your own heart, your own desires. What will you tie yourself to in terms of wealth or success? And what will you not? Where will you go in order to to fight things that you see? Dealing with all of that stuff here then gives you license and opportunity to go out here and start engaging. But, man, it it starts at home in your heart and then with your family and then in your workplace or school or community and then a little bit broader. And the last thing oftentimes is out here and across borders. Some of us will go out here first and realize that in going to the furthest reaches, you're trying to run away from your own stuff and then you're forced to come back. Some of us will have the courage to start right here and then make our way out. but the most important thing you have to offer is yourself. The most important weapon you have to bring into a beautiful fight is your own heart healed, restored and commissioned. And until we're in that place we don't have we don't have the, the ability and the freedom to go out here. It starts with a person. it starts with, a very intimate calling here, and you don't intend for the broad stroke stuff to happen. That is a chain reaction of us being committed at an individual level to individuals. And then a network of individuals becomes a family, and then a family of families becomes a movement, and a movement transforms. Not one person doing it. All of us yoked together doing it. So what power there is in each of us to change, what power there is in the heavens, what God has for us through the power of a relentless love, and then what a movement of people there are for us to walk with in whatever direction that we're called.
0: Would you pray with me? Yeah. That's awesome, is isn't, isn't that great? A movement of relentless love. Let's pray together. Father, we want to be a part of that movement. We want to walk in that movement, that movement of Jesus that started 2,000 years ago and has continued on through geography, through races, different eras and times, sometimes thriving, sometimes not. And we just pray it would thrive in our era. We want to walk with others in this movement, Lord, unleashing your power, unleashing your light in a dark world. And so we pray that you would teach us, Lord, how to embrace our identity. You would teach us. How to explore our gifts. You'd teach us how to extend our reach as we light up the place for you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. As we wrap up today.